the Investment Podcast, brought to you by M&G. This podcast is for investment professionals only. Hello and welcome to the Investment Podcast. My name is Romil Patel, and I'm delighted to be joined here today by James King, Head of Structured Credit at M&G Investments. Welcome to the podcast, James. You've been investing in the structured credit market for a long time. Hi, and uh, thanks for having me. I've been indeed investing in structured credit for uh, over 20 years. Uh, currently, my team looks after about six billion in AUM, uh, covering AAA down to non-investment grade. Um, and in particular, I think what we're going to talk about today is a significant risk transfer, which is one of the kind of most interesting areas of structured credit that we see at the moment. Indeed. Well, the focus for today's discussion is on bank capital relief trades, which are also known as significant risk transfer or SRT transactions. An SRT transaction is first or second loss protection purchased by a bank on a diversified pool of core lending assets, for example, loans to large corporations as well as SMEs. The origins of the SRT market date back to the 1990s. However, the market as recognised today has only existed since the introduction of Basel II in late 2007. Over the years, this type of transaction has become more common. But why do they exist? And what are they precisely? So really, the reason they exist is um, one of the sort of big trends that we're seeing you know, across financial markets, which is banks in general need uh, more capital for every unit of lending that they do, and that's pretty much across the board. And this is obviously a continuation of the regulations that were brought in after the global financial crisis. So you mentioned BAL2, but since then we've effectively had BAL3 and BAL4. We've also had IFRS9. And these regulations have generally made a whole variety of bank lending quite inefficient from a return on capital perspective. And at the same time, particularly in Europe, you know, I think there's been a, a general recognition post the GFC that banks were too big um, as a you know as a percentage of kind of a nation's GDP. Some of these banks' balance sheets were kind of well over a hundred percent. So there was a there was a real fear that. You know, some institutions were too big to fail. So, um, again, a, a general desire to see banks' balance sheets shrink. So that's that's why um, SRT exists. It's one of a number of kind of tools by which banks can reduce the capital required um, to put against um, their lending activities. And the, and the general idea is, if you know, give you an example. You mentioned SME loans. We could take a portfolio of, let's say, a billion of SME loans. Effectively, the way the regulator looks at that billion of SME loans, they would say around the first 100 million of cash um, associated with those loans is effectively at risk, i.e. that's the amount of capital that you might need to put against that billion of loans. If an investor comes along and says that I will effectively protect you, the bank, uh, for the first 100 million of losses, then on that portfolio, then in turn, the bank can significantly reduce the amount of capital it needs to put against those loans. So that's what SRT is um, in general. It's a means of identifying a particular part of a bank's balance sheet, and then you, the end investor, effectively providing the capital that the bank needs um, to, to perform that lending. So it's particularly popular for asset classes that the banks consider core to their kind of activities. So, you know, loans to SMEs would be a good example. Um, revolving credit facilities to large corporates would be another, but the, which don't lend themselves 
um, additionally to being sold. Um, so you know, one of the ways in which banks are shrinking is they're also selling a lot of portfolios, but that tends to be kind of non-core portfolios or portfolios where the bank doesn't need to maintain a, a, a relationship with the, with the borrower. So things like loans to SMEs, things like revolving credit facilities, the bank still needs that relationship with the with the uh, the borrower. So really, SRT is a is a is a really good way of actually sort of improving the bank's capital position, um, but at the same time allowing the bank to you know retain that relationship. Thanks, James. And as mentioned just a short while ago, the SRT market as we know it today has only been around since two thousand and seven. Over the years, how have you seen it evolve, and what direction do you see it going in? So there's been a number of changes uh, to the market. I think initially post the GFC, there wasn't a great deal of standardization um, in these transactions. Uh, Certain national regulators were not keen on these transactions. Um, So, you know, effectively, you know, we saw, you know, many countries, you know, the transactions didn't exist. And then the documentation itself in terms of what constitutes risk transfer also kind of varied from deal to deal. And that made it quite difficult from an investor perspective to try and figure out, you know, how far you can push a transaction in terms of obviously it's our job to kind of minimize the risk for our investors. And it's the bank's job to try and, you know, move as much of that risk as possible kind of off their balance sheets onto the investors who are effectively being paid to take that risk. One of the the key things that I'd say really galvanized this market was around the middle of the last decade when the ECB issued uh, a number of guidelines and rules for what they wanted to see um, within a significant risk transfer transaction uh, to actually allow that capital relief for for the banks. And so it was very kind of prescriptive in terms of some of the structural features they would allow, some of the things that they didn't, that they'd seen that they they didn't like. And this, I think, made it very much easier for issuers and investors, you know, in terms of issuers kind of knowing that if they put a transaction together that was in line with the ECB's guidelines, their national regulator would approve it and would allow them the capital relief. And similarly, the investors kind of knew how far they could push, you know, what what, what was going to be acceptable to um, regulators and what wouldn't. So it's really from the middle of the last decade that we saw much more standardization, and that led to a lot more jurisdictions and frankly, um, a very big increase in issuance, both in terms of the number of banks bringing these deals to market and also the the types of assets being brought. I mean, to put it into context, I'd say 2013-14, so only 10 years ago, we might have seen maybe 12 transactions a year. You know, if if we go forward to today, 10 years later, I think we're looking at 12 transactions right now. Um, deals that are going to be closing either in August or September. So I think you know total year for this year we'll probably see around you know eighty plus transactions, and we've gone from seven or eight banks and three or four jurisdictions to twenty plus jurisdictions and you know seventy plus banks being considered you know as SRT issuers. So I'd say the market has really. Um, you know, grown quite substantially, but also changed, I'd say, in a good way in terms of that standardization and, and, you know, people being, investors being clear on, you know, what's acceptable and what isn't from a transaction perspective. I think one of the key things that obviously worth bearing in mind as well, that 
I guess since the market really developed in Europe, as I say, around 10 years ago, uh, we also saw banks from other jurisdictions outside Europe also look to do um, significant risk transfer transactions. So we've seen deals from uh, banks in uh, Asia, including Japan. Uh, we've seen deals um, in Canada, the significant number of deals in the US. Um, and I, I hear of deals potentially being done in South America, um, Southern Africa, and uh, and also Australia, New Zealand. So it really has become a kind of global sort of market, albeit it's still dominated by European banks for the reasons I mentioned earlier, namely, you know, the banks themselves are very large, um, but also they, they're the ones that, you know, have had the weakest return on capital, generally speaking, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and therefore the ones that are, you know, looking the most to become more efficient with that capital usage. And James, you've been successfully operating in the structured credit space for more than two decades. Uh, when you sit back and survey the landscape, what attributes does a patient investor need to show in order to successfully invest in SRTs? So I think the, the main sort of attribute for success for us is only investing in transactions where you have a very good comfort level with the financial institution that is sponsoring the transaction um, and also um, making sure that you have good institutional knowledge about the underlying assets. It's sort of stating the obvious, but to give you an example, you know, we've seen SRT transactions on um, you know, shipping assets, for example. Now, M&G, you know, shipping is one of the few areas where we don't have an expertise. Um, so that's just something that we're not going to look at. Similarly, there's plenty of banks that come to market um, that we feel you know, not particularly strong in that type of asset origination in that particular jurisdiction that they're looking to do an SRT transaction on. How do we know that? Well, you know, we've got our, you know, very large banks team um, who who help us kind of figure out, you know, which banks do we want to do deals with and with and once we've decided which banks we want to do deals with, kind of which assets do we think those banks are, are good at. So I think they're the they're the key areas is just, you know, don't don't stretch the envelope in terms of what you're looking at. And that's really been, I think, one of the benefits of this market growing as, as fast as it has. It's allowed us to grow our exposure to this asset class without ever kind of moving beyond that very simple, only working with sponsors that we like and only working with assets that we feel that we you know fully understand. Another key area that I think it's very important to um, bear in mind is the fact that these transactions you know, are essentially private transactions. So that means that, you know, there's no kind of public sources of information to kind of help you make your credit assessment or, or certainly limited. So that means you, you're having to do the vast majority of the research yourself, which includes, you know, financial modeling. You know, each one of these transactions has to be modeled individually. So it's very important to have a team of people who are kind of exceptionally good at that side of things and and, and, the, and the accuracy that's required, um, you know, for, for, for modeling these transactions. Um, and at the same time, you know, thinking about, you know, how you stress these transactions when you, when you run them through your model, um, you know, what is an appropriate stress for, you know, a particular transaction in a, in a particular jurisdiction. And again, that really comes down to having good institutional knowledge about how different asset classes behave in different jurisdictions in a stressed economic environment. So again, having that sort of weight of institutional research that we have 
kind of behind us, I think, you know, really helped us, you know, to 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 pick the transactions which, you know, are likely to perform the best in um, in more difficult economic environments. And given where we are in the cycle, why are SRTs interesting to investors at this point? With all the various pockets of volatility, what makes this more appealing than cash? Well, I think the first thing to point out there is, of course, that, you know, while, you know, if we take the UK for it as an example, you know, while cash rates are optically very generous, you know, five, six percent, whatever it might be right now, um, that's still um, some way short of inflation. So, you know, if you're going to sit in cash, you are still effectively losing money. And the other thing to point out, of course, is that, as I mentioned earlier, these transactions are private, there is a there is a secondary market for them, but it's pretty limited. And you know, to get exposure to SRT transactions is not straightforward. It's not like moving into equities or you know corporate bonds or or indeed cash. Um, you have to um, you you essentially have to build a portfolio, and it takes time. The other thing I I think that's worth pointing out is you know right now you know with the kind of difficult sort of economic environment that we're in. You know, with the kind of, I think, fairly risk-off tone that we've seen in credit markets in general for the last kind of 18 months, um, you know, these transactions are actually very attractive right now versus what we've seen historically. So, you know, if I look at a you know typical SRT transaction and compare it to one that I might have seen maybe in 2021 or let's say the last time we had a bit of a bull market, 2019, um, I, I will see a transaction that is that gives me better spread. It will be a better quality transaction in terms of underlying collateral, and I may well have um, a thicker tranche, which means I've got a less volatile return profile. And, and those things, you know, don't exist in perpetuity. They exist because right now, you know, the market is saying, you know, we we are, there is uncertainty, and we want to be compensated for these um, additional potential risks. So we think this is a really good time to invest because essentially, you know, you are seeing transactions that are factoring in the uncertainty and say, just bearing in mind that, you know, if if risk appetites return in general to markets in six to 12 months time, it will not be easy to build a portfolio um, of SRT risk. A lot of the transactions that are being done now, they they, they go to buy and hold investors, they will be bought and, and they just won't be they won't be on the market in six to 12 months time. So, you know, we do think it's um, it's a a very interesting time to be putting money to work in this area. It's also worth mentioning that, um, you know, one of the things that we've observed about SRT is that in periods of market volatility actually performs pretty well uh, from a uh, sort of price perspective. So even though I mentioned that there is not a particularly deep secondary market, there is a secondary market of sorts. We do see SRT trade from time to time. Um, and what we kind of observed during, uh, for example, you know, the early months of COVID-19 or, you know, during the volatility that we saw in uh, European markets at the end of last year, uh, that SRT actually held up very, very well from a price perspective. So certainly the the drawdown that we saw um, in SRT was far lower uh, than we saw in um, other kind of non-investment grade asset classes, um, particularly within structured credit. And there's a couple of good reasons for that. You know, one is SRT investors tend to be buy and hold, so you don't get the same um, kind of panic selling as you might see in in other markets or where people are sort of dashing for cash. Um, but the other reason is, you know, we feel that structurally 
they are quite um, they are quite stable. I mean, clearly they are um, you know junior investments, so there's, there's obviously a high element of risk. But actually, when you you kind of analyze an SRT transaction and sort of break it into its component parts, you know, we think you're essentially buying a sort of very thick equity tranche, really some, you know, you, you could split that equity tranche up further into kind of equity single B, double B, uh, and even triple B. So again, it's it, it's that sort of stability of returns that's, that sort of reflects that risk profile that also, I think, you know, means that we we feel it's quite an interesting asset class to sort of be involved in, even if you are kind of concerned about, um, you know, the economic environment. Thanks, James. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for on today's episode of the Investment Podcast. James, it's been a real pleasure to look beyond traditional assets and get granular on SRTs with you. Thanks indeed again for sharing your insights. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to you, our audience, as ever for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Investment Podcast, but it's goodbye for now. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast.